0: We're going to be looking at the book of Deuteronomy, some verses in that book, just to remind you if you've uh, perhaps not been familiar with it, but the Bible is a lot about being set free from where we came from. And for the nation of Israel, that meant coming from slavery in Egypt, where their lives were dominated by power that they couldn't break, and how God released them out from that and then promised them inheritance. And really that's all speaking of what the Christian life's about, that God has rescued us from powers that were so great that we couldn't really handle them. But ahead is inheritance. There's a possessing things that God wants to give us. So, of course, in the Old Testament, that's all uh, very literal. So, you find at the beginning of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses says to the people, You have stayed long enough on this mountain. Turns set on your journey to the hill country. See, I've placed before you the land. Go in and possess it. And uh, there's that sense, right? you've, you've been here long enough, now let's go and possess what lies before. And that's the very first chapter of Deuteronomy. And I want to read you just a couple of verses from uh, almost the last chapter of Deuteronomy. And uh, just a few verses in Deuteronomy 32 from verse 8. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of men, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, in a howling waste of a wilderness, He encircled him. He cared for him. He guarded him as the pupil of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them and carried them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided him and there was no foreign God with him. Father, we thank you so much for the imagery that we see in what we call nature, Lord. Things that you have written in, beautiful pictures and images of things that you also do in our lives. Lord, how you train us, how you release us, how you teach us to mount up on wings. Lord, we thank you, Father, that we can identify with these images. We can, Lord, comprehend sometimes what you're doing In our lives. So tonight, Lord, we love to sing to you, we love to be in your presence, we thank you for friendship, we thank you for Lord joy of being in your house with your people, and Lord with an open Bible, and Lord with the promise of the help of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, right now we ask you in the name of Jesus for the Holy Spirit to rest upon us. That Lord you would take your word and speak it into our hearts that you would make it, Lord, do us good, help us to identify, help us to feel, I'm hearing my heavenly Father speak to me. And that, Lord, you would answer questions in our hearts and release us to the next phase in our walk with you. So, Lord, let your word do us good tonight, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's this imagery, and the book of Deuteronomy... It's a book where Moses is kind of rehearsing just before they go into the land. This is the way God's led us. This is what lies before us. Here are some of the promises God said. We are going to inherit uh, this land. Here are some of the prohibitions. Remember, these are some of the laws he gave us to live by. And so it's a a preparatory chapter. Here we go. We're going into what God has for us. And uh, for many of us at the age you're at, you've got lying before you. What has God got? For me, what's God going to do with my life? The adventure of a life spread before you. And into that image, he just uses what we would call maybe a picture of nature, namely an eagle. And I'm sure you're aware that eagles build their nests high up on the cliff. Uh, extraordinary creatures, magnificent creatures, and their nests are built high up on the cliff face. And uh, here it says, uh, as an eagle uh, flutters over its young, stirs up its nest. And so it's painting an image of what happens in the uh, experience of the nest of an eagle when there comes the day when it seems that the parent eagle changes its character somehow. From having been a a provider, a caring uh, parent, Uh, who flies off, gathers food, brings it back, you sit there, you open your mouth, you just receive what's coming, and uh, you just see the view, it's all very beautiful and magnificent, and you sit there, and food comes to you as parents fly off and get food. And one day, the eagle seems to have a kind of, I don't know, something's happened, what's going on here? Suddenly, uh, everything becomes uncomfortable, and she starts stirring up the nest. In fact, she pushes the young eaglets to the edge and indeed over the edge. What is going on here? What on earth is happening? Why is this my life, which was so comfortable, suddenly dramatically changing? Why do I feel so vulnerable? Why do I feel, I don't know what's happening to me? This is scary. What's going on? And to that image, that actual thing that happens in the life of eagles and their nests. The Bible takes it, like lots of parables that Jesus told. He talked about sowing seed and the birds of the air, etc. And so often he just draws our attention to something in nature and says, I want you to learn from this. I want you to experience my faithfulness through this image. So we're going to look at this tonight. We're going to look at this picture together and see how this loving parent suddenly seems to become very unloving. And you think, what on earth is going on? And it may be that tonight you're wondering, what's happening in my life? Maybe you're feeling unsettled. Maybe you're questioning, I don't really understand what's taking place. We sang some great songs this evening. We spoke about when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. That great British praise song. <laughs> you go to other parts of the world, the sun is an enemy. Uh, in England, when the sun's shining down on me, all the worlds as it should be. Uh, and then it talks about, and when the thing, I saw it's a desert place, and I walked through the wilderness. What's going on? Well, here's that kind of experience. Suddenly, what seems like a good place becomes a bad place. The nest starts breaking up. So let's just ask the picture. I'm going to ask the picture half a dozen questions tonight. Okay, so the first one is this. Who Who's stirring up this nest? Who's causing all the trouble here? Now very often when Christians go through difficulties, they're quick to think, well, the enemy's attacking me. Satan's attacking me. The devil's giving me a hard time. You'll hear Christians use that kind of language and sometimes they'll even say, pray for me. I really feel the devil's getting at me. Our home's going through difficulty. I feel I'm going through some uh, troubles. And, and so we, we tend to think, well, if I'm hitting trouble, it must be because the enemy is attacking me. And yet it's fascinating to see in the story that actually that's not the case. Here, it's not the enemy that's stirring up the nest. It is actually the parent eagle who has brought these beautiful uh, young birds to birth. It's not an enemy, it's the actual parent who suddenly starts to stir things up. And and that gives us a completely different prospect. We would think, well, surely, surely it's an enemy. No, 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 it's not. Uh, You might think of some of the Bible stories. You think of Joseph, for instance. Joseph, I love the story of Joseph in the Bible. But he, you know, he's raised in a a comfortable home. He's very happy in the nest. He seems to get all the favours. He gets the multicoloured coat coat. He's the favoured son. It's almost like he gets the best food brought to him. And everything's happy in the home. And suddenly, he is turfed out of the nest. Suddenly, everything goes wrong. Suddenly, what on earth happening to me? And you could say, well, we know what happened to him. You know, his brothers turned against him. And it says, moved with envy, his brothers sold him. So we know, we know. What happened? It was, the, it was because of other people's sin. And sometimes we can say that. Yeah, I'm going through a difficult time and I know why. It's that guy at the university. is my neighbour. My neighbour is such a pain to me. My, my family, even perhaps your hostile parents. You, I know what it's coming from. But the Bible says this. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And then it says this. God sent me ahead. That's what Joseph... At the end, Joseph sums up and says, well, actually... I know that you were the instrument, but behind the instrument was the hand of God. It was God who stood up the nest. It was God who shook his life up and changed it dramatically. He was thrown out of the nest and started a journey of difficulty and hardship, but it was in order to accomplish something, as we'll come back to as we go through this talk this evening. But it's important for us to see if if we are Christian people, if we're the children of God, he has his hand on us, And when circumstances hit our lives, they have to come through the permission of God. It says, my life is hid with Christ in God. So if if an enemy is going to hit me, he's got to come through all that. And that's got to be with God's permission. And so here we see in the story, it's not an enemy, he's stirring up the nest. It is, in fact, the parent with real intention, knowing what she or he is doing, stirring up, then that's giving the, the child a really difficult experience, one that he wouldn't want. Joseph wouldn't have wanted what he had, but ultimately he began to see what it was about. So it's the parent that's doing it. It's not, don't blame the enemy for everything, because God has plans which we sometimes find incomprehensible. Why is this happening to me? And that kind of why question comes up in our hearts. But actually the parent knows exactly what it's doing, knows exactly why it's doing it. So who's doing it? The parent. The second question is this, who is she doing it to? Who is this parent ego doing it to? Is it that one morning she wakes up and thinks, I feel kind of destructive today. I'm going to fly all up and down Ah, there's another nest. You know, when there's another one, there's another one, smash. No, no, it's not like that. All right, she only stirs up her own nest. She's not on a general nest-destroying day. It's not she's suddenly flipped and think, God, it's going to break the whole world up. Actually, she's very focused. She's very focused. She's only responsible for her young. It's not a haphazard thing. She knows exactly what she's doing. She stirs her own. Again, we might think, "Well, if, do I, am, I, am I really a Christian? If this is happening to me, if life's so tough, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe God doesn't really love me. And we can feel that. It may, and Satan will, sometimes, it's like Satan came to Jesus, and says, if you're the son of God. You know, you better turn these stones into bread. I mean, you, no one's looking after you. You're starving here. No one cares. And Satan loves to do that. So you're obviously not in God's good books because look what's happening to you. No, no, actually the parent is doing this only to her own young. Not a random thing. It's very focused. It's very deliberate. It's very personal. Stirring up her own. And only her own qualify. So it says about this in the Bible. amazing thing. It says, Jacob have I loved... Esau have I hated. Now, it's a difficult thing to think. God hated? You, know, you have to understand it. It says in the Bible that unless we hate our parents in order to love Jesus, you know, so the word, it doesn't mean you really hate your parents. It just means that the love we have for God is so great that by contrast, there's the contrast. So actually God's purpose was with Jacob. That's the way the story for unfolds that he is the one whose family becomes the key family. He's the one whose name gets changed to Israel. He's the one who has the 12 sons. The nation goes on. God's plan is going to go through Israel. So it's Israel, or Jacob, same guy, I have loved. You think, well, he's going to get a happy time then. Life's going to be easy for him. But actually, if you look at the story, you look at the story of these two brothers, and you would be hard-pressed to say, quite simply, it's obvious, That God loved Esau. Or God loved Jacob. It's obvious. Actually, if you look at the story of Esau, you'll find he prospered. He never had to leave home. He's very rich. You'll find towards the end of his life, Jacob comes home having been away. Uh, When he returns, he wants to give to his his brother Esau. He wants to present him with a large gift. And Esau says, I don't need it, thank you. I'm very comfortable. Uh, Life's been good to me. Well, I thought, how come? What, what, what happened to Jacob then? Jacob I have loved. You remember, Jacob had to run away from home. He, fl- he f- flew the nest. He ran away. Remember the story? He was a cheat, but he met people who cheated him even more. And he, and he goes, when he falls, away, he falls in love with a girl. And he and gives his heart, says, Oh, I love this girl, I just want to marry her. And the guy says, okay, you have to serve seven years. If you want to marry my daughter, you have to serve me seven years. So he says, okay, I'll work seven years, seven years. At the end of the seven years, like, here's my daughter. Oh, And, and they marry, and uh, they go into the tent, and the next morning he wakes up and, ah, it's the wrong one. It's, the, it's not the one I wanted. Who is it? It was my other daughter. But you know, this is the one I loved. Oh no, we always marry the older one first. What about that? Oh, you work another seven years for her. I think, good night. And he went through such a tough time. Jacob's life was tough. He lost his son Joseph and in the end it looked like he's lost Benjamin as well. Boy, this guy, did he suffer. But the Bible says, Jacob, I have loved. So who's she doing it to? Well, she's actually doing it to her own. The scripture says this, whom the Lord loves he chastens. It's with purpose and meaning. It's it's not a careless thing. This, this parent eagle only has eyes for her own nest. She's not becoming destructive, generally. She's purposefully doing something to her young. She's very, very focused. She cares for her own young. You know, sometimes you might be walking down the street and see little children playing up. But, you know, they're not your responsibility. But we've, you know, we've raised five kids. When you walk down the street and one of your children plays up, that's a different deal. Because it's my responsibility. And so I'm going to be involved. And here this parent eagle is involved with her own young. So if you're going through hard time, it isn't, oh, God's forgotten me. No, actually, because God has his eye on you. That's what this story is telling us. God is motivated, or the parent eagle is motivated to take the step. So that's the second question we've asked. The second question, the first question we asked was, who's doing it? Is it an enemy? No, it's the parent. Who's she doing it to? Only her own young. She's very focused. She knows what she's doing. The third question I want to ask is this. When when does she do it? When does she start stirring up the nest? Well, I guess it's not before the feathers grow. I guess it's not, oh, you know, just when they're tiny little creatures when they barely know what's going on. No, I don't think it's that. But it may not be when they're as big as she is, either. I I, want to suggest to you that they might think, this is a bit early, what's going on here? But I would say this, that she instinctively knows that it would be dangerous for them to stay still any longer. When she instinctively knows If I just keep bringing food to them they're going to miss something hugely important. She instinctively knows it will be dangerous for them not to go into a new experience. To move on in the growing up process. She knows it's time. She knows this is when this must happen. And as I read to you at the beginning of Deuteronomy, God says to them, you've lived on this mountain long enough. That's what he said at the beginning of Deuteronomy. You've dwelt on this mountain long enough. You know, mountains in the Bible usually speak of blessing and we're happy to stay there as long as you like, really. It's good if God says you've stayed, you've stayed in this valley long enough i think, good, let's get out of this. He said, no, you've stayed on this mountain long enough. You remember when the, the Mount of Transfiguration is one of the extraordinary stories in the Gospels where Jesus suddenly, his deity shines out. Suddenly, this man they've been following, and he's been healing the sick, doing dramatic things, even walking on sea, commanding storms, raising the dead. This man is phenomenal. And they're up there on this mountain, and suddenly, his whole body shines with God light. And it's not like Moses, whose face reflected something of the glory of God, and he put a cloak over it and hid it. Here it says, even his clothes were glistening. You couldn't hold back this light. And they think, oh boy, let's stay up here. Let's stay here. This is so good. But the story says, no, they had to go on down. They go down from the mountain. The very first thing they encounter is a demon-possessed child who needs help, who needs to be set free. And so Jesus says, no, come on, we've got to move on down. And here this is saying, you, you know, you've stayed long enough on this mountain. You've stayed long enough in this place. And, and the Bible is, talks about Christianity as a way. There were, one of the early names for, for the church, for Christians, was they were followers of the way. And Abraham is the first uh, figure in this whole story in the Bible, and it says he, taught, he lived in tents. He never had a permanent home. He, he lived in a tent. He's looking for the next place. He kept on moving on. It's part of the Christian life. You do keep on moving on. That's how it goes. And sometimes we, 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 we want to just stay where we are. But we can keep finding God surprises us. God moves us on. And even Abraham, you know, from the beginning, God says to him, now, I want you to rise up, leave. Leave where you've been. Leave the Ur of the Cowboys. That's where he was, That's big city he's lived in. And I'll take you to a place and he begins a journey, he's invited into a journey, that's how Jesus started with Peter, James, John follow me, come I'll take you on a journey, I'm taking you on an adventure I thank God for the adventure that he called me into, he's called us all into an adventure, come, come with me and yet he's still all the time inviting us to more so that Abraham, even when he's old you think, well Abraham, you've done it, well done you know, you had this child, you were promised a child, it took years and years and years, but wow, the miracle, you have your son, you have your Isaac, after all these years of waiting, all the problems of Ishmael, and the problems of all that, no, no, you've got your son. Wow, you've arrived. And then you wake up one morning and says, God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and take him to a place that I will show you, and kill him. It's amazing. And then the next verse is immediately he arose, immediately, and he goes on a three-day journey to this mountain. God is still calling him to fresh steps of faith. When, as a Christian, you don't suddenly arrive "Well, I'm a mature Christian now," you find God's forever inviting you to new steps of faith. He's, he's drawing you into something more. He doesn't want us to settle. The Bible talks about, it says, Moham, they've gone nowhere. They've, they've never been emptied from vessel to vessel. It's something in us sometimes. We don't, we don't really, we don't like the thought of uh, moving on. But Abraham, even as an old man, God says, come on, up you come. And of course, you know the story. He, he actually takes the boy He climbs the mountain. He he says, his dear, precious, darling son. And it says, he took the knife. And then uh, when the knife is in the air, I mean, he's going to kill this boy. And God says, that's it. It's okay. Now I know that you love me. You wouldn't withhold your own son. You're still travelling with me. You're prioritising to believe me. Put first my will. And then God provides this lamb and all's well, and everything. But what I'm struck by was he's never allowed to settle. God's always drawing us on. He wants us to move forward. Have you settled? So yeah, I'm a Christian. I became a Christian when I was a kid, I think. It's so easy to just settle, and say, "Well, that's my pigeonhole, that's where I belong. But you can find suddenly God begins to change things, and open things up to us. Well, I never dreamed you'd have this adventure for me. I never believed you had these kind of plans. Beware the dangers of settling. Because God's always wanting us to be pilgrims, really. The Apostle Paul said towards the end of his life, in Philippians chapter 3, one of his late epistles, he says, not that I've already attained, but I'm pressing forward. I want to, I want to still lay hold of things ahead that I haven't touched yet. Do you feel that? There's more, there's more for us to press into. Let's not think, well, I've got it all down now. There's so much more. I was doing a series once on the, the stories in Hebrews 11. And uh, I know as a preacher, when I'm in and out every week in a church, I'd love to work a series. And I was doing a series on Hebrews 11. Uh, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you know Hebrews 11. It's a kind of like, uh, it's like a Westminster Abbey of... Uh, uh, all the Old Testament Bible characters, the heroes of the faith. And the, here's this one, and you move on, oh, here's another one. It was Abraham, and there's Moses, and wow, it's just a terrific. One after another of these great heroes and heroines. And I was working through I started the series, I'm preaching the series, and I'm just really turning the page to see who came next. And, and, and then I come in the story, and the next name is Joseph. Oh, I love the story of Joseph. Can't wait to preach on Joseph. And, uh, and I see what does it say and to my amazement it says Joseph when he was dying gave instruction about his bones I thought how could you preach on that I mean he had, he had a wonderful life incredible story and, I mean Joseph is amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat you know, he's just a terrific story and I'm thinking oh good Joseph and all the Bible says is he gave instructions about his bones Well, you can't preach on that and uh, I remember that week, you know, when, you're, when you're preaching every week as a pastor, the, the, week, the pressure builds as the week goes by. So, you know, Tuesday morning, I used to love to come Tuesday morning, Monday's the day off, Tuesday. Let's get, begin to look into this word. And then, you know, Tuesday, well, i just bones. You know, Wednesdays, still bones. Thursdays, still very dry bones. And I'm getting nearer the weekend, like, wow, what am I going to do with this? Do I abandon the series? Do I jump past Joseph? Do I preach something else that isn't in Hebrews 11 about Joseph? I'm struggling with this as Sunday's getting nearer. And the agony of here comes Sunday, and I've got nothing to say. And, and I just felt, suddenly, God seemed to speak to me. And I felt that God was saying this to me, that Joseph the story of Joseph, his whole life, and they paid a huge price for it, was saying, come on down into Egypt. He rescued his family. God sent him ahead to save life, the Bible says. So he endured a lot of hardship. And if you could say, this is my life. I, 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 I was thrown out of my home. I suffered, but I came through. I saved Egypt from destruction. And I'll have my pyramid there, I think. And I think they'd say, yeah, wherever you like, Joseph, you can have your pyramid. You're a hero, Joseph. And Joseph said, no, 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 actually, although my whole life has been, we're going this way, at the end he said, this isn't it. God's got a promised land for you there. And I don't really want a pyramid. But when you go out of here, take my bones with you. And I thought, wow, even when he's dying, he wants his bones invested in the next part of the story. His his commitment to going on into God's bigger plan, his commitment to not just having my own personal story, but God's big story. One of the things we want to do with our lives, and for most of us in this room, we're young people is not just to have my own story, but to where do I fit in God's story? What's God after? Well, God's great purpose is to glorify Jesus in all the nations. That every tongue and tribe and people and nation will glorify Jesus. The Bible says that when that, the last people have learned about Jesus, then the end will come. And Jesus will be glorified by every tongue and tribe and nation and people, and then God will close the story and usher in the new age. Hallelujah. He's got a great, great plan. I want to be part of that plan. i just have my private plan. And our greatest desire should be, where do I fit in your plan? And so it thrilled me when I thought, wow, Joseph, even at the end, he's not saying, I'll have my pyramid there to celebrate my extraordinary life. No, no, I want to be part of your plan, which is to take them on into your purposes. i be open to God's Plan to take us on. I remember my Baptist pastor when uh, he was uh, in his later years as a pastor. And he was a lovely man, beautiful preacher, very loving, kind pastor. And uh, when some of the young people, when I, I I I got hungry through his preaching, I was hungry for more of God. I was longing to, is, is there more? Can I have some power? Is this? He seemed to be preaching, there was more. And it resulted in my going off to another church, actually, and they laid hands on me, and I received the Spirit, and spoke in tongues, and this, what is this, the whole new thing? And I was uh, at a youth retreat with the guys from our church, and uh, it was supposed to be going for a walk on the Saturday afternoon, at this weekend retreat. And instead of going for a walk, it poured. <coughs> poured with rain, so the pastor said, uh, hey um, we'll have another session and we can't walk and there's about 70 of us, maybe similar numbers are here tonight, and we're all around and uh, we sat around he said, well we'll just have an open discussion and I recently had this experience of the spirit coming on me but I hadn't told anybody And, and we're all together and then he suddenly said, right let's have a discussion, Terry what's happened to you lately? Something's happened to you. And uh, I'm in this rather formal Baptist church, and I said, well, um," because it was uh, was a bit controversial at the time, uh, I said, well, I I went to the Pentecostal church, and uh, they laid hands on me, um, and I received the Spirit, and I spoke in tongues. And uh, when I'd finished, you could have heard a pin drop. (laughs) And all I thought, you know, I've said it, I've said it. And uh, when I've Said it, the pastor said, Terry, you must lay hands on all these young people and I'll come at the end of the line. What a humble man. I mean, he built up a church, 600 member, I mean, very successful Baptist church. He had ministry, a wonderful ministry, and here he is towards the end of his ministry and he suddenly sees something new and he's just wide open. He said, Right, let's see. So he spent all his life going this way. This is what you do. Suddenly he saw something else. He said, oh my word, I'm going to go this way. I thought, I thought, you are a remarkable man. Remarkable man. And he sent a lot of the young guys to my home and said, go out and see Terry, get him to pray for you. I thought, what a wonderful guy. He was open to change. He was, open. He was still tender in his spirit. He wasn't locked up. God could still teach him something more. Can God still teach you something more? Can he keep moving you on? He didn't say, well, I'll have my pyramid here. He said, no, no, there's more. There's more. Come on, you young people, there's more. And we saw a real quickening and a wonderful work of God happened among those young people because this guy was still moving on. Moses said towards the end of his life, Lord, you've only just begun to show your servant your glory. As an old man, he's still saying, God, I've only just begun. There's so much more of you. I want more of you. So here, when does God stir us up? When did the parent eagle stir up, make life uncomfortable? Or when she saw it was dangerous for them to stay still any longer? When, it, when it's just not helpful for everything to stay the same? That's when she begins to stir up the nest. Then the next question then, how does she do it? How does she do it? Well, we spoke of it briefly at the beginning. Instead of her normal protective style, her normal simply feeding them, just bringing food, flying off, bringing food, caring for them, watching over them. It's almost like she suddenly changed. She she gives them a jolting experience, an uncomfortable experience. So that life isn't as comfortable as it used to be. Suddenly I don't feel, I don't feel at, at home, I don't feel comfortable. That can happen to us when we go away to university. You're used to certain things at home, you go away and everything's different. It's all uncomfortable. All kinds of phases in our lives, we can suddenly have our our situation change. She she starts pushing them, actually. And, and finally, it gets unpleasant to stay still. And eventually, it becomes impossible to stay still. And, and you know, you know they, they build these nests pretty high up. So this is pretty scary. And, uh, the, you know, you're looking down, and what's, what on earth happened to Mother? What is she doing? She's breaking up. Look, look, look at that branch. Look where it's fallen to. It's just tumbling down. And what on earth is she doing? And, uh, you know, I can imagine kind of clinging to the rock face and saying, you know, I trust you, Lord Jesus. This is a bit scary. What's going on here? And really this is where, I guess, fear can come straight in. Doesn't God care? That's what you can think about her. Doesn't she care what's happening? But it's not because she's careless. She's careless. And it's not because she's callous. It's not like, oh, I just turned around. Oops. Oh, I'm not one over. That's a shame. It's not, it's not like that. It's not, it's not carelessness. It's not callousness. Actually, it's something quite different to that. He says she spreads her wings and catches them. It's a phenomenal thing. In fact, when she's away looking for food, you could say this, when, when everything's cosy, the parent eagles will fly great distances to bring food. But at this stage, at this stage, they are, we read that, you're, you're the apple of my eye, the pupil of my eye, you're, my eye is on you. At such a stage, when you think, God's left me, no, actually God is most carefully watching you. He's most attentive to you. Like the parent eagle, Some, when, when nothing's happening, they can fly great distances to get food, but now, this pushing over, now, no, no, I'm watching you ever so carefully. What is this the apple of the eye, or the pupil of the eye? You know, the eye is one of the most protected parts of your, of your body. You've got this eyelid, this extraordinary quick, Uh, you've got these tears, you've got this shaped, your skull, the eye is protected by bone, it's protected by eyelid, it's protected by uh, eyelash, it's protected by tears, it's so, it's tenderly protective. And God says, no, no, you're very protected by me. You're the pupil of my eye. You're the apple of my eye. You're the one I'm watching over. You're safe. But it feels, I'm also unsafe. No, no, underneath are the everlasting arms, the Bible says. It's when I'm, when I'm feeling insecure, now God's right there. God is watching over us. And this parent eagle is terribly careful, watching over, spreads wings, catches them. Phenomenal thing. Beautiful thing to observe. How does she do it? She does it by, yeah, difficult circumstances, but she knows what she's doing. She's actually being very, very careful, watching them very, very closely. It's when fear can creep in. You're going through an uncomfortable season, you feel, God, where are you? This is scary, what's happening to me? Have you taken your eye off me? No, not at all. I'm very carefully watching over you. Then let me ask the very last question. Why? Why does she do it? We've asked, who's doing it? Well, it's not an enemy, it's the parent. Who's she doing it to? Only her own young. When does she do it? When she says it's dangerous for them not to move on. be dangerous for things to stay as they are. How does she do it? She makes life uncomfortable. Why? Why does she do it? <coughs> Eagles are meant to fly. That's why she does it. The extraordinary thing is that eagles are born in heavenly places. They didn't do anything to get there. The young eagle didn't say, wow, that was quite a climb to get up here. You know, when, One day, the egg opens up and here I am. Wow, look where I'm born. What a view is this? I can see for miles, and oops, here comes my food. Well, this is fun. I'm born up here, and life's comfortable, and everything's done for me, and I rather like it. Uh, and the Bible says we're, we're born again. We, are, we have a second birth. But eagles are meant to fly. They're amazing creatures. I had the privilege of seeing in in the USA these magnificent bald eagles, just fantastic creatures, soaring, absolutely soaring. And the way they use the air currents, I was once in South Africa too, and and we were were, uh, in a mountain area, and they were down below us, and then suddenly they are above us, and you don't see any flapping up. They don't flap up like pigeons, they mount up. They're just magnificent. They kind of rule the sky. They're wonderful creatures. But when they're first born, they're just on a ledge. And the food gets brought to them. But what they were made for was to soar. Why does she break up the nest? She knows what they're made for. She knows their full potential. She understands their identity. She understands, hey, there's something much, much more for them. They're born for the heavenlies. And God knows, dear friends, God knows that we have been born for a massive potential, extraordinary things God's given his children capacity for. He's been singing over us tonight through this lovely prophetic song that came earlier about his love for us, his desire for us. And sometimes it's those Those very, very difficult times. That looking, when you look back over life, you learn often so much more through those shaking times. Those times, what's going on? What's happening? And you cling to God, you find God, you prove God, you begin to mount up other things. You begin to, you find, hey, I I can cope with this, I can overcome this, I'm beginning to learn how to fellowship with God, how he can make grace sufficient, available to me. That I, that I, and, and it's often it's in the crisis, it's in the challenge that we learn to soar up. When we begin to trust God's wisdom. Not, we, sometimes the instinct is say, why are you doing this? Explain it to me. But often there is no explanation. And we learn to trust Him. We learn to say, Lord, I put you first. I really do trust you. You know exactly what you're doing. And it's in those crises that we get to know God. We get to experience him. And certain things we can experience in meetings, we can experience as we're being instructed and taught from the Bible. But many things we learn, we only learn in pressure situations. That's where all that stuff we learn, we begin to apply, begin to take it on board, begin to trust him, so that when the next crisis comes, we think, no, I'm going to trust him for this. And courage and fortitude and steadfastness gets built into your character. Things that would not be built into you were it not for the test, the trial, the difficulty. And and you begin to take on maturity, you begin to take on stability, you begin to be able to help others to soar up over things, to mount up on wings, to say, no, we can handle this, we can cope with this, we can face this challenge. Because we've learned, we've learned experiences, and some things can only be learned in the experience. So, yeah, we were, we were born in the heavenlies. Like eagles, you know, the egg opens, here we are. It happened, you're born again. You did nothing about it. You made no contribution. You just trusted Jesus. And you're there. The Bible says that at the very beginning, you've been raised from the dead, you've been put in the heavenlies. But for you to learn, and for me to learn how to live there, it's trials, setbacks, difficulties, challenges. Times where you think, God, don't you love me at all? What are you doing with me? What's happening? i never experienced anything like this before. Why did you let that fall apart? I thought that relationship was going somewhere, and now he's gone, there's nothing there. And I thought this, I thought that, and and he'd broken my heart, and this is very difficult. You're like, no, no, begin to trust God. Begin to put him first. Begin to think, no, no, I had put my hope in that happening. I thought that job was going to be mine. I thought that house was going to be mine. I thought that money was coming. I thought all sorts of things and God allows them to go pear shape. And we begin to trust him, learn of him, experience his faithfulness. It's a privilege to uh, be with the younger generation tonight and to speak from some decades of God's faithfulness to you. Say, so, hey, God can be trusted. But oftentimes we think, I don't understand this. This is tough. But hey, God was teaching. God was training. God was leading us through so that we might learn to mount up with wings as eagles. Those that wait upon the Lord, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall learn to fly the air currents They'll learn to trust God. They'll learn to prove Him faithful. So this little image, this picture that the Bible gives us, there's a a young eagle, or as a parent eagle rather, stirring up her young. So yeah, the Lord will stir over us in order to bring us through to His ultimate purpose. Let's stand to pray and we'll wind up here tonight. Let's just stand before the Lord. Let's just uh, acknowledge his presence with us. Let's express our trust in him. Maybe you're going through circumstances you don't really understand. That story of Joseph would have been so like that what on earth is happening? I've been thrown out of the nest. I'm on my own. What do I do? Has God forgotten me? My brothers don't love me. Actually, he's dead centre in the will of God. It's amazing. He's dead centre. God is bringing him step by step into his inheritance. Into the story that God has for him. He's going step by step into God's plan. But what we, all it looks like is I've been thrown out of the nest. He looks totally negative. He's got promises about his family and their attitude towards him. It just doesn't make sense. He saw these visions of his brothers bowing down to him and no, I don't even know if my brothers are still alive. I'm, I'm just way off. I'm way off. I'm completely out of what it seemed like God was promising me. I'm just missing it. But no, every step is taking him nearer. By faith, you say, "No, Lord, I'm believing you. I'm really trusting you." that my life is in your hands. The steps of a good man, a good woman are ordered of the Lord and he delights in his way. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to really come to us this evening. Come renewing hope and joy and confidence in you. We pray we may continue to grow up into Christ, grow up in our confidence, grow up in our certainty. Help us to spread our wings, Lord. Help us to catch the air current. Help us to step into another dimension, Lord. We think of these young eagles, Lord, perhaps never never having stretched their wings. And, and maybe falling out and, and feeling the tug on the wing and feeling suddenly the parent flying below and catching them. and Well I just pray right now. Would you whisper your love into every heart? Would you give us encouragement? You're right there for us. You know us through and through. You can be trusted. Hallelujah. I pray for every guy, every girl here tonight. Pray Lord, you know where we are. You know what we fear. You know how we've understood things. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we've looked at your word together tonight, we might find hope and courage and certainty. Lord, strengthen and fortify us. Lord, we love you. Why don't you just uh, express your love to him in your heart? You don't need to speak out loud, but just to tell him that you trust him. Tell him you believe in him. Tell him you, when you don't understand, I'm going to keep trusting, Lord. I'm going to keep trusting you. God wants to cultivate a believing people who trust him who believe he knows best he's planning for us in love that would be great I, I didn't speak to the musicians before but if the musicians could come up maybe we could just sing one more song that somehow responds to this Lord Jesus, we, we just tell you that we are amazed at you, Lord Jesus, that if ever, ever anyone was thrown out of a nest, we thank you, Jesus, you laid aside glory. We thank you, Lord Jesus, you, you stepped into another dimension altogether. We thank you that you left the glory of heaven Oh Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you stepped into a completely new sphere. You lived on this earth. We thank you, trusted the Father. You committed yourself to him. Thank you, you were full of confidence in your Father. Lord, we want, we want to just draw on you, know you, believe you, trust you. So Lord, let us be characterized, we pray, by that same confidence. Let us feel your ability to hold us through Well, I do pray for every life here that we might know what it is to sing your praise to put our trust in you in Jesus name